morning, family. Hey, we have the right one up. You thought we were going to have part two of last week, but we didn't. We got part one and the only part for this week. Good to see everyone this morning. Thank you for coming. We got a potluck. I'm hungry. Anybody else hungry? Yes. Well, I'm thinking that, yeah, I got a yes. Okay. I'm thinking that probably when we start eating, you're going to be satisfied. It's going to be good food. Well, I'm going to try to feed you this morning. I don't know how satisfied you're going to be. But I'm going to give you a load this morning. So if you would join me, turning to 2 Peter chapter 1. It's a little bit of a long reading. We've got three slides, but it's an important reading. Join me, please, as I read from 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3 through verse 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection or brotherly love, and to brotherly love, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever gone full speed ahead? I mean, straight up full speed ahead on a sure thing. Anybody, have you ever done that? Just You got a sure thing, you just jumped right in and went all the way, all guns blazing on the sure thing. How did it work out? It depends on what steps were necessary, right? And which steps you actually took. And it depends a little bit on what you mean by a sure thing. Well, what is a sure thing? A sure thing is absolute certainty in a consistent and predictable outcome. It's a situation where if you consistently do X and Y, you always get Z. If that's the case, 
then you have what's known as a sure thing. Sometimes a sure thing turns out to be not so sure. So is there really such a thing as a sure thing? Is, is it really? Is a certainty something that is so certain that it's a foregone conclusion? It's so sure that you'll never doubt. Is there really such a thing as that? Some things are not a sure thing. They look like it. Uh, finding the right person, falling in love, is it a sure thing? Does it ever happen? Yes. Does it not happen? Yes. So it's not a sure thing. Success is not a sure thing. If I follow religiously the seven habits of highly effective people, does that guarantee I'm going to be effective? Is it a sure thing? No. It doesn't work like that. Getting the right degree doesn't guarantee I'm going to get the right job. And on and on it goes. You can list all kinds of things that we think may be a sure thing and they're not. Or I like what, it's attributed to Mark Twain, but it's actually the apocryphal Mark Twain. Nobody, no scholars could find anywhere where he actually said it. But it's still true. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that ain't so. Some things absolutely are for certain. Like what? Change. Change is a sure thing. It's going to happen. Failure. Death. The resurrection is a sure thing. The return of Jesus is a sure thing. Calling his people home and that we will go with him is a sure thing. Heaven, is a, it's, it's a done deal. It's certain. Well, regarding the church, the people of God, and by the way, it's an interesting letter, 2 Peter, because it's not really addressed to a church. It's addressed to, it's a plural letter. It's written to everybody who shares in faith. The righteous people. And Peter talks about things that are a sure thing. Well, we need to unpack that a little bit. In verse 3, he says that his divine power, his power, has given us, it's a gift. In fact, it, it's a perpetual gift. It's a gift that continues to give. The benefits are always there. Everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. By the way of, or by means of, our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus called us by virtue of his own glory and goodness. And though he is given or made a present of, he's gifted us, very great and precious promises. And what does that do for us? It makes it possible to partake in the divine nature. 
You need to think about that for a minute. The power of Jesus has given us the possibility of literally sharing with him in the power or the divine nature, God's very nature, who he is. We can actually participate in who God is and escape from the corruption that's in the world. That word corruption is really interesting. It has to do with internal decay. It has to do with rottenness. So it's not talking about an event as something that breaks down. It's being in the world and allowing the world to influence us in such a way that we begin to literally decompose from the inside out, spiritually. That's a very scary thought, if you think about it. And it's caused by evil desires, yearning, lust, self-interest. And so Peter says, for this very reason, for this very reason, what does that mean? Because of his divine power, he gifts us with everything we need for life and godliness by way of our knowledge of him. And because of Jesus' glory and goodness that causes, he promises us, and that's an interesting word. It's literally the word that is from the same root as gospel. He gospels to us. That's the promise. Promises to us. Fellowship. Divine fellowship with God. And escape from evil. Okay, because of that, Peter says, make every effort. Every effort. That means to have zeal for, to make haste. Trouble yourself. Go to the trouble. It means to go overboard. To work that hard to supplement your faith. And here he can't mean just simply believing. It's faithfulness. How do you make your faithfulness to God? We can talk about that all day long. So, well, you need to be faithful. How do you do that? Peter tells us how to do that. You add to your faith these things. It means make every effort. In other words, it's Peter's way of saying here are the seven habits of highly faithful Christians. Seven habits. And you add to your faith goodness. Some versions say virtue. What does that word mean, goodness? It means moral energy. It means excellence. It's the God-given power or ability to perform heroic deeds. It's a word that's used to describe soldiers on the battlefield who rise up and go above and beyond the call of duty. This is the word. It's not simply doing good things or being a good person. It is being excellent at it. It is pursuing that excellence. Like an athlete or an artist in their great accomplishments. It's the way you conduct your life. It's the quality that stands out about you, about being excellent. But it's not talking about being talented. It's talking about fine-tuning your goodness. And he says you add to that knowledge. This is not simply head knowledge. We're not talking about 
learning about Jesus. It's not talking about Bible study. Even though those things are not excluded, but that's not the point. It's talking about an experiential knowledge. It's not knowing about Jesus or learning about Jesus. It's learning Jesus. Not of, not about, but learning the person. It is more like discipleship and not scholarship. It's about being discipled with, alongside of Jesus. And he says, add to that self-control. The King James calls it temperance. But what is that? It's mastery over yourself, control over yourself. It's not the devil's fault when we give in to temptation. He may have helped put the temptation in front of you, but self-control keeps you from acting on it. And add to your self-control perseverance. It means to resist, to obstinately endure long-suffering, patience, steadfastness. It's the power to sustain all the blows of the devil, all the troubles of life. He says to add to this, that. And to your perseverance, godliness. This is not just being a religious person. It's true religion. What's true religion? It's a deep abiding reverence for God. A life of holiness. A life of piety. And to your godliness, brotherly kindness. The word is literally Philadelphia. That's the word. Brotherly love. Brotherly kindness. It's how we interact with each other. That's what it's talking about. It's directed toward the brothers and sisters of the church. Love one another, John would say. Brotherly love. And the capstone, of course, is love. And it's, we're all familiar, it's the word agape. Nothing special about the word. It just happens to be, in this context, in this list, the capstone. It is the highest form. It is the goal. It's almost disconnected from feelings, but not completely. It's not how you feel about the world or about people or about their needs. It's what you do about it. It's more about action. The closest English word we can come to this is altruism. What you do for people in their best interest without expecting anything in return or even being whether they're going to appreciate it. You do it anyway, the right thing. If you want a real picture of what he's talking about, you look at 1 Corinthians 13, what love is and what it's not. And nowhere in there is it show that it's an emotional thing at all. So the thing about all of this, he says that possessing these things and in an increasing measure, take the initiative, begin doing, this is the starting point, these qualities in increasing measure. It means to overflow, to be more than enough. It means to be exaggerated. That's literally how it, the word functions in any other context, to exaggerate these things. You can't be good enough. You can't have enough self-control. You can't be pious enough. You can't have enough brotherly love. So you pursue the excess. He says, be in excess possess these things. And if you possess these things, and they're increasing, there's the guarantee. 
it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. What does it mean to be ineffective? It keeps you from being idle. It keeps you from being lazy. It keeps you from becoming indifferent to your faith. It keeps you from being barren and fruitless and unprofitable. And if you don't have these things, there's another guarantee. You're guaranteed to be nearsighted and blind. It's like uh, squinting your eyes and purposely no longer seeing the truth, no longer looking at it, and forget that you were cleansed from your sins. And it's interesting, if you can't remember that you were cleansed from your sins, how do you expect God to remember? It's very serious stuff. And he tells them to be all the more eager, make every effort to make your calling and election sure. What's a better way to put it? Make your calling and election a sure thing. It is a sure thing. Absolutely. If we possess these things and they're increasing. And he says, what's the benefit? You will never fall. You will never stumble is what the word means. And you receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a sure thing that by building on your faith and increasing in these virtues, you are guaranteed to be effective and fruitful. Guaranteed. Can't escape it. It's a sure thing that if you're not, that you cannot be fruitful. There's a great and terrible risk for fruitless and indifferent and idle Christianity. Terrible risk. And nothing in this list has anything about ministries. It doesn't say that if you come to more church services or get involved in more ministries or more events or, or any of these things that you'll be locking in your guarantee. No, it has to do with the character that you bring. It's moral virtues that we grow. This is not self-help for success. You stand at the crossroads of a sure thing. If you turn left, you will certainly meet a very tragic end. If you turn right, you'll be walking the road of certainty that leads to a warm and everlasting welcome into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's an old Turkish saying that says, no matter how far down the wrong road you have gone, turn around. If you're on the path of effective and fruitful, stumble-free faith, if you're not on that path, turn around. The road to heaven is paved with obedience. It's never too late until it's over. It is a stumble-proof guarantee that's before all of us. It is literally a sure thing. And I'm getting hungry.
So I will offer to you at this time, if you need to respond for any reason, this is an opportunity to do that. It, it's my hope and prayer that we take to heart what Peter is saying. It's not simply a, a believe in your okay Christianity. It's a faithful growth that we have to be involved in. So whatever your need is, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you need to become one, this is a great opportunity to come in faith, repentance, and baptism, and then begin to walk that very path. But whatever your need is, we hope that you'll make that known while we stand and sing.